Blog Talk Radio. We declare our rank on this earth to be a man, to be a human being, to be respected as a human being, to be given the rights of a human being in this society, on this earth, in this day, which we intend to bring into existence by any means necessary. Jason Strider, man, he told me, man, it's a sin. Just as much as a sin is killing a person and stealing and everything else, it's a sin for me not to be doing what I'm doing. If I chose to take the easy way out knowing that I had this gift. Everybody can rap, but only a few get in these positions, you know, where they can really speak, you know, to a generation of people and, you know, have them follow them. Most important thing in business is honesty, integrity, hard work, family, never forgetting where we came from. See, you are what you are in this world. That's either one of two things. Either you're somebody, or you're nobody. What's up? Glad to be here once again. Another fresh Saturday afternoon for the collective. Another great day to talk sports, music, TV, and film. Uh, before we get started, of course, we want to shout out our, our, our platform, Blog Talk Radio, and, of course, our wonderful network, The Keys 107, opening the doors to endless possibilities. Gentlemen, we've got a lot to cover today, a lot to go over. Um, we're, we're going to have some, some pretty uh, in-depth discussion, I think, today. A lot has happened this week. Uh, first up, first on the agenda, what we've been talking about these last couple weeks, NBA Finals action. Since we last met last Saturday, 
Obviously, we convened after the first two games. Uh, it was tied at 1-1. We saw San Antonio go into Miami and steal the first victory, 92-88. We saw Miami come back and respond in game two with that 19-point victory, uh, going on that 33-5 to run in the third quarter. Tied it up again. Went back to San Antonio this week. We saw games three and four since we last met. Uh, game three, obviously the, the the blowout, the first game in San Antonio. San Antonio uh, set the NBA Finals record, 16 three-pointers made in that game, um, just a complete blowout. And, again, Miami came back and adjusted for game four, um, came back with their 109-93 to victory on Thursday night. And as I speculated, after game three even, uh, we're right back where we started. Tied at 2-2, um, going into game five for tomorrow night between San Antonio and Miami. It's been a roller coaster thus far with these NBA finals. And uh, as we discussed a couple weeks ago at the start of these finals, I think we all projected this would be going to seven games, um, as well as the projection that this would be a uh, a pretty intense finals. And, again, it's been a roller coaster. It's been up and down kind of for both teams, uh, we've had some some injury issues. We've had players step up. We've had players disappear. Um, the storylines continue as they do for every NBA Finals. Um, I guess I'll again it's, it's a, a few things to consider going into this Game Five for tomorrow night. Um, obviously, huge Im- implications. Um, the last game in San Antonio, uh, we're down to three games, gentlemen. It's it's, it's best of three here. Um, so, again, a lot to consider with Tony Parker's injury, with Dwayne Wade deciding to be Dwayne Wade again in game four. Um, the big three, obviously, for Miami, the spectacular performance on Thursday night, just a real championship effort. You know, the, the commentator, I think it was Jeff Van Gundy calling the game on Thursday night, um, said it well. I think that was the first time we saw – well, maybe not the first time, but I think that was the most championship caliber Miami Heat team we've seen probably through this entire playoffs, aside from the first round against Milwaukee. Um, uh, really just a, a complete game in, in the sense for Miami, for the big three, especially um, a great performance by them just uh, carrying Miami to that game four win. Uh, T. Hill, I'll kick it to you first. Uh, if you've been listening, uh, if you know anything about our co-hosts in our show, uh, you know by now that Tommy is the only one of us who picked Miami to win the series. Um, so, Tommy, I'll give you the floor first. Um, give us your thoughts on the first four games, and what are you looking for for game five tomorrow night? I just want to say thank you, Dwayne Wade. Thank you. <clears throat> we've seen we've seen San Antonio get away with with daring him to take shots throughout the first three games. Thank you, Dwayne Wade. I, I, I was texting back and forth with Jay during the week, and I, I just kept going back to the fact that they were disrespecting LeBron and Dwayne Wade by giving them so much space going under screens. And my my big issue, which was was bothering me and it was killing me, was I all I wanted to see them do was step into those shots and take those shots. Stop hesitating. You guys are more than capable mid-range jump shooters, just just shoot the ball. And, and, and that's what they did last game. And I, I'm, I'm not going to be 
I'm not going to say this series is over because it, it, it's not by a long stretch, but I love what I saw last game. And, and I was talking to you, Martin, about the fact that when was the last time we've seen LeBron James go to the bench and the Miami Heat extend the lead? When has the, I, I think you got to go back to last season, the last time we've, we've seen that happen. And the, the fact that, you know, Dwayne Wade showed us that he can still play at that level, that gives me tremendous confidence going into these last three games because that was that was the question. That's, it, that's been on the question of everyone's mind. Will Dwayne Wade be Dwayne Wade? Can LeBron do it by himself? And the answer is no, LeBron can't do it by himself. And when Dwayne Wade's playing like Dwayne Wade, I don't think San Antonio has much of a, an answer for that. So, and, um, you know, next game, Big Five were back. Uh, game Five were, were squared at 2-2. I really believe that, you know, who wins this game is more than likely going to win the championship. I think Miami would be in a better position to win if they lost Game Five, but I don't see, I don't see uh, the way, especially the way this series has been going, a team winning two games in a row in Miami. You know, like I said, Miami would have the better, the better chance to do it, but I really believe who wins this next game is, is more than likely going to win the championship. Um, I think, for the most part, the statistics agree with you. Since 1985, since the 2-3-2 format was applied in the NBA Finals, since since then, uh, since the, ter- the series has been tied 2-2, the winner of Game 5 has gone on to win 7 out of 10 times. Uh, so, again, I think the statistics favors your opinion, Tommy. And, you know, obviously Dwayne Wade was the big story of Game 4, and and – let me just say, as someone who picked the Spurs, and I have proof of this because we have podcasts, and if you want proof, <laughs> you can go to our podcast and listen. I have, even before we started the collective, I said all year, the Miami repeat has more to do with Dwayne Wade than LeBron James. And people would look at me so crazy when I said that because LeBron is, is the great one. He's the chosen one. Everything falls and ends with LeBron James. Every, you know, put your trust in him. Be a witness. No, I, I, no. I was always of the mindset that the beauty of the whole Miami Heat pairing, the 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 the, be- the only thing that would make it work is if Dwayne Wade was at least a fragment of the Dwayne Wade he was before LeBron even got to Miami. I, I hate the fact that Miami Heat fans just completely diverted their attention away from Dwayne Wade when LeBron got there. Sure, he's the best player in the league, but. Don't forget who got you a ring in 2006. Don't forget why we called Dwayne Wade the Flash after that. Don't forget that he was finals MVP and averaged 34 points a game in the NBA finals that year. But you, you can't forget, and I said it a couple weeks ago. After that, uh, I, believe it was, I believe it was game four, or, or game four or game five in the Indiana series in the Eastern Conference Finals, when Dwayne Wade finally, as I said on the show, I feel like he finally – gave in and finally felt the need to raise his hand and say, hey, remember me? I've carried this team before. I'm capable of getting the ball and making plays and, and, and making things happen for myself as opposed to just giving the ball to LeBron and hoping that he makes every great decision and relying on LeBron to get other people going. 
again, I have the proof. I have the evidence in our podcast. I said it. The only reason I picked San Antonio to win the finals is because up until the finals, I saw a Dwayne Wade that was kind of just coasting off of the accomplishments of LeBron James. I saw a Miami Heat team that coasted through that Indiana series. I don't care that it went seven games. They, they didn't need the Dwayne Wade that we saw in game four to beat Indiana because we didn't see the Dwayne Wade in game four against Indiana. We kind of just saw Miami be, be the better team in the end. In that game seven, Indiana didn't even have a chance. So, again, I, as the only reason I picked the Spurs in this series was because I had not seen Dwayne Wade be Dwayne Wade anymore. If we're about to see a Dwayne Wade, he may not necessarily have to score 30 like the other night. I mean, he was really flowing. But if he's anywhere between the 20 and 35-point range, I concede my pick completely. I don't see San Antonio as having any kind of chance because that is what makes this Miami team so special. It's not LeBron. I mean, it's LeBron, obviously, but don't stop there. It's more about Dwayne Wade, and that's been my contention this whole time. And watching game four, I was it was happening before my eyes. Like you said, Tommy, LeBron James was on the bench. And to me, that was what they got away from, trusting Dwayne Wade with the basketball and letting him be Dwayne Wade. And and then when LeBron comes in, those jump shots are much easier to take because you've got a cushion and you've got a little lead and and, and that cushion that Dwayne Wade helped build. And I I don't want to take away from Chris Bosh either because when Chris Bosh puts forth the effort blocking shots and and diving for loose balls and – Chris Bosh puts forth a championship effort, and I think credit go, has to go to Chris Bosh as well, and then the big three collectively. But, again, you know, when the Wade and LeBron thing, you know, came about, the whole Batman and Robin debate, whatever, whatever it may be, you have to let Dwayne Wade be Batman sometimes. You can't just let it be about LeBron first and foremost. That That's just been my opinion, and I think that, that really manifested itself in game four. Um, Jay, your thoughts, I you know, I know you and Tommy talked. We we texted a little bit after that game four. Uh, Jay, give us your thoughts on the NBA Finals so far. Um, well, first, first, it's been a it's been a great, great, great series. Um, this this dramatic, you know, two two tie that we have going on right now is it's movie like, <laughs> and, and it's and it's making for a great end of the basketball season. Um, so I'm I'm happy with the way that it's going. I, I really am. Um, okay, so a, a few things, and I'll, and I'll try to be brief. But um, San Antonio obviously needs this game five um, or game four. I, I I think it's or five. I, I'm like I'm five. I think I think this game this game tomorrow night determines who's going to win this series. And and I say that because going back to Miami, um, with Miami having two games to win one to finish them off, I, I just can't see San Antonio beating them twice in a row. So I think tomorrow night is is ultimately the game seven of this series. Um, as far as as far as the way teams are playing, I don't think LeBron James has had a great great final. I mean, he did. He, he had 32 or, or or somewhere in that range. But I hate Skip Bayless. But I was watching first take, and none of those points came during garbage time. Realistically, and, and Skip made a good point um, that San Antonio clearly conceded 
and and took all their guys out of the game. Spolster just had LeBron out there, just you know, still being aggressive. And I, I can kind of understand that, but I don't I don't necessarily like it. Dwayne Wade is certainly the key to this finals, and 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 you know, as soon as as I saw him get going and I saw him take over the game, you know, I text Martin right away and I said, yo, you are, you are absolutely correct. And, and you know, he, he, he shoots 25 shots, which is more than he took in game three and in game two, and combined. And, and he was super aggressive, and he, and he, allowed, he allowed LeBron to do other things besides have to worry about carrying the scoring load. And, and like Martin said, they can't be beat when Batman and Robin are contributing. And, but but this, is, this is why I'm still confident in San Antonio, is because I haven't seen Dwayne Wade put two good games together, I feel like, this whole playoff series. I feel like he every time people start to, to doubt him or think, oh, Wade's messing up, you know, he comes out with a game like he had the other night and just reminds us, you know, he still is Dwayne Wade. And I'm looking, and, I, and I've been looking at his playoff numbers. Um, you know, we talk about that 06 team. He scored 654 points in the playoffs, which is outrageous. Um, <laughs> but but this year, he, this year he's, only, he's averaging 15 points a game in the playoffs, and he's not shooting the ball that much. I, I, I mean, he's... His, his field goals are, are way down, pretty much cut in half for when he was the flash. And and I think it's still there. And I think people are making too much excuses for him about him being hurt and all these things. I just think he's not being as aggressive as he needs to be. You know, he scored 26 points combined in games, in games two and three. And then he comes out and has 32 the other night. He goes seven for 15. Uh, in the first game, uh, I mean, in the second game, and, he, and he, in the third game, I'm sorry, and in the second game, he goes five for 13. So why is he only taking? Why is he not getting up 15 plus shots a game? I, I feel like he's just not being as aggressive as he needs to be, and I feel like he knew that Miami's back was against the wall, and he is the guy. Uh, and, and and when when Martin said that, I agreed with him. When it, when when it, since day one. When he said Dwayne Wade is the key for Miami to repeat, I say, yeah, that makes total sense because you know what you're going to get from LeBron. So he needs someone else. And, it, and it's not even about LeBron. It's about Wade being Wade. And, and I feel like he came out in this game and said, I'm from jump, I'm going to be aggressive, and I'm going to be Dwayne Wade. And when he is Dwayne Wade, Miami can't lose, and it's that simple. And in two stats that, that, that make – to tonight, uh, tomorrow's game, even that more interesting. Um, I put up one in our collective Facebook page. You know, Miami six and zero after a loss, and and they have a margin of victory of twenty points after a loss, which is outrageous to me. How they come back out and smack people after they lose. San Antonio, on the other hand, and, and someone commented, and they're three and zero this postseason after a loss. So. I'm totally, I'm totally looking for San Antonio to come out and win this game tomorrow night, and and have this be a very, very interesting and hot finish in Miami because somebody's gonna have to win two in a row to get this thing over with, and and I'm not sure 
I'm not sure who's going to do it. I, I honestly, I'm, I'm not. I'm, 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 I'm looking at it like you know, if San Antonio shoots the three well, um, like they did in Game Three, then, then they, then they can control the tempo of the game and they can win this thing. And then I'm looking at the Heat and I'm like, well, if Wade comes out and, and is the flash that we're used to seeing, the guy that averaged 30.2 points a game one season. I think Miami has the best chance. So, and and you know what, Martin? You know what I was thinking about that we haven't talked about at all? How terrible yeah. Manu Ginobili has been all postseason. Oh, much. And, and in these I was getting to that. My how, wait, how how is where has he been? And and it's and it and I feel like it's a not even it's not a miracle, but I think that shows how deep and how good San Antonio is is that one of their main guys has been struggling mightily all finals long. If Manu Ginobili plays like Manu Ginobili, then San Antonio has it. But he's gonna have to he's gonna have to have one good game in these in these last three games for San Antonio to win this thing. And and I I I don't know what's going on with him. I don't know why he's not being aggressive. I honestly feel like the only thing I've seen him do is is throw the ball away or take ill-advised shots coming down the stretch. And and I know that's Manu Ginobili's style. He's very aggressive. You know, you take the good with the bad, and usually the good heavily outweighs the bad, but he's just been bad. And and I'm looking for Manu Ginobili to come out, especially in this game five at home, and, and be an impact player in this game because he hasn't been all series long, and it's very, very disappointing and very surprising because he's a big game type guy. He, he, he steps up when the moment is big, and he has been nowhere to be found, and that's just amazing to me. So this 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 series is no has no shortage of storyline, of drama, and and I, I think we just got to buckle our seatbelts and get ready for these last three games because. Uh, this could be an historic finish, for sure. Uh, yeah, I, I want to go back. Go ahead, T. Um, if Dwayne Wade continues to play like Dwayne Wade, would you give him serious consideration for Finals MVP? Yes. Yeah, I would. I would. I would, I would as well. I definitely would. I I I, I feel like. That last game, if Miami comes out and wins game five and possibly wins this thing in six, I think I think you can give that to Dwayne Wade because that was the turnaround game. I think game four, if Miami wins this series, I think game four could be the turnaround game of this series and kind of shifted everything. And, and, you know, if he stays aggressive and he comes out and he scores, you know, 25 next game and, and maybe another solid 20, maybe 30-point performance in a closeout game, I don't think LeBron's hype should overlook what Dwayne Wade has been doing or, or can do for the rest of this series. So it'll be, it'll be very interesting to see. I hope, I hope he does, though. I do. I, I was going to say exactly the same. I think the fact that Dwayne Wade, like not single-handedly, but the story of game four was Dwayne Wade. And I was going to say exactly what Jay just said. If Miami ends up winning this series, that game, first of all, that game is going to be the turnaround. And also, if they're going to win this series, in my opinion, it's going to take at least a fraction of what Dwayne Wade did in game four. He's going to have to continue to keep that up. He may not have to be dominant, but again, he's probably going to have to be in the 20, you know, at least 18 to 30 point range 
he's going to have to keep that aggression going at some level. And if he does, I think that warrants a finals MVP for him at the end of the day because of his performance in game four, tying the series up and looking forward to, I mean, again, it's going to take more of him to keep this up. I think in the end, Miami wins. You're looking at a Dwayne Wade finals MVP because, I mean, and again, I wanted to get to Ginobili because I I think what you said, Jay, is, is, so crucial and so important. The fact that San Antonio is tied with Miami and hasn't and has really gotten nothing from one of their big three. I mean, this isn't just – he's one of their big three. And I think the dynamic with Ginobili and Dwayne Wade has been very similar up until game four, obviously, because Wade broke out. But you almost look at it as these both of these teams need both of these guys to get going because they're one of their big three. And it's remarkable that San Antonio was still in it. And like you said, Jay, it speaks to their depth because they've gotten, obviously, Danny Green has stepped up. Obviously, Gary Neal has exploded at times. They've gotten mm-hmm. a little scoring from Kawhi Leonard here and there, you know. Um, they've just found ways to compensate without Manu's production. And that really speaks to their depth and their collective effort as a team. Um, on Miami's side, Tommy, I, I think the reason why LeBron – at this point doesn't warrant a finals MVP is because, I mean, you look at the two games they've won. Game two was more about Mario Chalmers than anyone else. You look at the games they won, LeBron hasn't won them any games yet. He hasn't. I mean, like Jay said, the fact that Dwayne Wade stepped up so much in game four, and Tommy, we talked about this too. It gave LeBron the, the, you know, the luxury to, you know, do the other things he's good at. Block Tim Duncan's shot on the baseline from the weak side. Have, you know, those strong defensive possessions almost serve as a decoy on offense. You know, he's, he's more relaxed taking those shots because it's not a tie game or a down-by-two situation. They had that cushion when he came back in because Dwayne Wade led the charge. So, mm-hmm. and, and last I wanted to say also to, to Jay's last remark, I think Dwayne Wade's field goal attempts, and again, I'm, I'm pointing the finger at LeBron here. His few, I think LeBron has had maybe too much control over who shoots and who doesn't. And I'm not saying that he's deliberately been taking shots away from Dwayne Wade, but inadvertently he does because, A, he's LeBron James, and it starts and ends with the best player in the league, apparently. And, two, LeBron controls who he – LeBron is looking for shooters most of the time. I mean, a lot, we've seen Wade and LeBron work off each other a lot, but primarily when LeBron drives to the basket – and he kicks it to Wade on a cut for a dunk or vice versa. LeBron is typically getting his assist by kicking it out to shooters. That's how Miami gets themselves going. And that's why I say it's on Dwayne Wade to just to just take the ball and be Dwayne Wade. Don't let LeBron dictate the whole offense when you get the ball, when you get shots. I literally, I, I seriously think that's a direct – and I'm, it's not like I'm blaming LeBron, but I think just the overall presence of LeBron – it inadvertently takes away from Dwayne Wade's shot. Like, that's just how it is. LeBron controls Miami's offense. He shoots when he wants to shoot. He controls who gets it and who doesn't. And, I mean, you don't, like, you want to trust him. He's a, he's a great passer. He's a great decision maker. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm saying for Dwayne Wade, the sacrifice has been the greatest because he was the guy. And, and, and sure, he willingly put himself aside and put himself as number two when LeBron came in, and that's great. But listen, man, 
you've got to let Dwayne Wade be Dwayne Wade. And, Tommy, we talked about it, and I, I think you made a strong point about LeBron. And I've said this to people over the, over the past week. It's not in LeBron's nature to be a scorer. It's just not. I'm sorry, people. Kevin Durant is a scorer. Kobe Bryant is a scorer. Carmelo Anthony is a scorer. Does LeBron score points, a lot of points? Absolutely. But it's, it, it's, it's not based off it, – it's not just – I mean, if you, know, if, you, if you know basketball, you know what I'm talking about. LeBron James gets his scoring mostly off of athleticism, bullying his way to the basket, and fast break dunk. It's not off of – I mean, you know, he's done more posting up and stuff, and you credit him for that. I mean, his post-up game has improved tremendously. But he, he's not a jump shooter. He's not a shooter off the dribble. He's not someone that, that can create his shot anytime he wants, like the three guys I just named. The beauty of LeBron James and what makes him so great is the fact that his nature is being an all-around player. He's unselfish. He rebounds. He assists. He plays defense. He does everything. It's not just about his, his scoring, and it's unfair to, to think that, you know, he's going to come out and get 30, 40, 50 points and, and dominate a game that way. The way he dominates the game is much different. But still, I think Dwayne Wade, at his time, was that scorer. And so why not play through Dwayne Wade and allow LeBron to be just the extra guy? Let LeBron do what he does well. LeBron is not a great scorer, so why rely on him to do the scoring and the playmaking and the rebounding? I mean, don't, don't rely on him for all of that. Let Dwayne Wade do what Dwayne Wade does, and then you can relish off of the things that LeBron does well. That's been my opinion on this whole Miami Heat situation from the beginning. Um, Lawrence, we've left you out. We've been on for about 30 minutes now. We haven't, we haven't let you talk yet. So give us, give us your thoughts. What are you thinking about the NBA Finals so far? Well, I mean, I, I, it's not like I – I certainly don't feel like anything that happened in Game 4 was unexpected. I mean, apart from Dwayne Wade's resurgence, obviously, did that – no one necessarily expected uh, Heat hope. Heat fans hoped for that, I'm sure, for a long time. And I mean, it, it was good to see, but I don't think anything happened out of the ordinary on on in Game Four. I think realistically, the Miami Heat got to the rim. Dwayne Wade was able to get going by going to the rim. LeBron was able to get his outside game going after going into the rim. And the Spurs didn't protect the basket. They did in the two wins. Even in the game that, even in game two when they lost, they still protected the basket a lot better than they did in game four. It it wasn't a very good defensive performance by the Spurs. The the Heat had everything they needed to win that game. I am still riding with the Spurs though on the series. I think that they come out in game five. I think that they got a little bit of rest, I guess, with game four with with guys sitting late and kind of just unpacking and saying, all right, we, we lost this one. Let's get ready for the next one. And, I mean, that's not – I guess that's not what you're going to preach if you're a coach. Like, if if I was going to be a coach, I wouldn't say, you know what, like we're down big right now. Let's just let's just chalk this one and, and go on to the next, like Jay said, with, with pop pulling guys early. But at the same time, when your team is old as the Spurs, you have to do that. You have to let your guys get the rest. So I think they come out in game five and take care of business. I mean, the the glaring statistic is, is like I said, points in the paint as well as turnovers. 
San Antonio mm-hmm. has to turn over the ball a lot less than they did in game four if they're going to beat Miami. I mean, we know that's how Miami scores. That's how they get in their offensive rhythms. They get, they cause you to turn over the ball and get out in the open floor and make things happen in the open floor. If you're not turning over the ball, you don't give them those opportunities. I'm not saying they need to have every game be like game one where they're only going to have four turnovers. But if they're 12 or under, they give themselves a legitimate shot of beating Miami. And, and I'm sure that's something that Pop is drilling into them, just taking care of the ball and being better with the ball. Um, to go to Tommy's question, I guess, about about Wade being finals MVP, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that he's not going to be. I mean, and, and it is partially because of the hype around LeBron James, and, and you can say all you want about that, but realistically, if we're talking realistically, LeBron James is going to be the final MVP. Over the finals, he's average. I mean, he hasn't... He didn't score a lot in the first three games. We know that. But in game four, where Wade came back to life, LeBron actually outscored him. He scored one more point than Wade did. And, I mean, that that pretty much speaks to itself to say it, when other guys get going, that means that LeBron is on himself. He was able to he was able to do some things to be able to get Wade in positions. I mean, like Martin said, LeBron is going to be the guy with the ball in his hands most of the time. So kind of everybody else's offensive productivity is based around whether LeBron is going to be able to get them the ball, whether LeBron is going to be able to get himself going. We saw uncharacteristic things from LeBron in Game 3 with him just – lazily turning over the ball, not making good passes. That That's uncharacteristic of LeBron. What he does is get everyone else involved. I mean, he's averaging 13 rebounds, 7 assists, and 20 point, 21 points rather throughout the final so far. I don't see how you could give it to Wade unless, like Jay said, Wade comes out and has 25 and 30 in the next two games and they end up closing out the Spurs in six. Then, I mean, you can definitely make that a case, but I, I don't see Wade realistically doing that without LeBron doing something similar, without LeBron being able to get him the ball and getting himself involved. Because, I mean, when you have to focus on both of them, that's, like Martin said, that's when it's the issue. It, uh, the Heat are an issue because you have to constantly be thinking about Dwayne Wade as well as LeBron James. If you only have to think about LeBron and Wade's not really doing much, then it, it makes it a little bit easier to, to be able to beat them and throw them off of their game. But if LeBron gets going and, and allows that allows Wade to get going, and when Wade, and when both of them get going, that's when he causes issues. That's when things like game four happen. So, I mean, at this point, I'm remaining optimistic. Like I said, with my Spurs pick, I think I think the Spurs can definitely make some adjustments. I know Pop has has big adjustments to, to be made in order for the Spurs to further solidify the paint. Don't allow that much penetration. I mean, if the Heat are going to continually just get into the heart of your defense, they're going to hurt you. And uh, we saw that in game four, so they're, they're going to have to come up with some different strategies. Monte Ginobili has to wake up. I, I, I mean, I want to remain optimistic and say that he's going to. If not, uh, that kind of shift to Danny Green and Gary Neal both to kind of take over that load, be the be those perimeter threats, and, and I mean, actually try to get things going. Tony Parker's hamstring is obviously an issue. Um, we Everyone was talking about it after halftime of game four when he had 15 points in the first half. It was just like, yeah, uh, what hamstring issue? But then in the second half, you saw a whole different Tony Parker so I don't know if it, if it got cold and he kind of stiffened up a bit, but he definitely has to has to be taking care of that. And if Tony Parker is able to be a hundred percent, and if they they have Tony Parker 
at 100%, they're always going to be a threat to win, and and they're obviously good enough to beat the Heat. So I'm 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 looking for good basketball, man. I it's been good so far. I mean, obviously there's been some blowouts, but even those have been entertaining to watch because it's like it's it's become more of a chess match between. <laughs> I would say Spolstra and Pop, but I feel like it's almost even like LeBron and Pop. It's just like Pop is throwing new things at LeBron, just trying to see how he responds to it. So, I mean, it's been really cool. But, yeah, Spurs and seven still, I'm I'm still confident. I, I, I feel good about that pick still. I think you make two really good points. I'm glad you brought up the turnovers because that's, I've mentioned that in every one of my pregame notes that I've written on our on our basketball blog. Uh, when it comes to Miami, turnovers is the number one thing. You can't turn the ball over and beat Miami. It's just not going to happen. So Mm-mm. you bring up a major point with that. I think your point about LeBron is is is, is solid too because I I think because in my mind I'm thinking you know if Miami wins wins out if they win this again I've, I've uh, you know I've made this overly clear but I, I think that Dwayne Wade has to be the catalyst so in my mind if I see Miami win I'm seeing Dwayne Wade as Finals MVP but I, but I, but you make a strong point because for Dwayne Wade I mean Dwayne Wade can get himself going but but I, I think you make the case and it's strong that that LeBron is usually going also if Dwayne Wade is going. And if he's not, he will get going because the attention shifts to Dwayne Wade, and that leaves room for LeBron to do what he does. And you right. bring up his stats. I mean, even if he's not scoring a whole lot, he's still rebounding, he's still assisting, and he's still making big defensive plays. So it's not like his presence is felt. And, and hopefully I wasn't hopefully I wasn't like putting too much onus on the fact that the fact that he's not scoring isn't you know uh, takes away from him as a as a great player or as a Finals MVP. Uh, that's certainly not the case, and I think you make that strong point that LeBron's going to be effective and he's going to be impactful whether he's scoring or not. But assuming that Dwayne Wade is going to keep himself going, you have to assume, like Jay said, we know what we're going to get from LeBron. His motor is high. Um, I I think you make a strong case, but I think it, that is something interesting to watch for with the with the Finals MVP. Um, seeing, you know, if Miami were to win, how they win over these next, you know, whoever wins the next two games obviously wins. So I think it'll be interesting to see, you know, who kind of arises, how that dynamic works out with the finals MVP, because I, I still, I'm sticking to my original thesis that it, it takes Dwayne, it takes a, 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 a flash Dwayne Wade for Miami to repeat. And I think that Dwayne Wade takes the finals MVP if Miami wins that, that's just been my original contention, but I, I I think you make a strong point there. Looking at Ginobili, uh, Jay and Lawrence, and I, and I was I wanted to say this after Jay's point, but I think you know both of you brought him up, and I know Lawrence, you're a big Manu guy. You've always been big on Manu, I know, and I have too. And I think what we're seeing, what I've been seeing at least, is you know in the past we've seen Manu, like Jay said, you take the good with the bad. He's so frantic, and he makes such wild decisions, and like Jay said, in the past, the good has outweighed the bad. It's benefited them more than it's hurt them. I think Manu Ginobili has finally come up against just a faster, just as crafty defense than he's used to seeing. I don't think Mm -hmm. he's used to playing against the speed of the Miami Heat. I don't think he's used to seeing those traps and those rotations work so quickly. Uh, The most I've seen Manu Ginobili help his team in these finals has been merely being a facilitator. 
he's their best playmaker when Tony Parker goes to the bench, and they rely on him to take the ball at the top of the key and work off those ball screens. But if he's not making, like, he's just got to make the first pass. He can't look to split the defense and then Euro step and do some fancy. No, that doesn't work against Miami. And especially with him being 34 years old now, he's not as quick as he used to be. He's got to just relax and make the first pass, make the first decision, as opposed to trying to be the crafty Ginobili that we're used to. I think he's had trouble making that adjustment with his game because Miami's defense is a lot faster than what he's used to seeing. He's not used he's not used to that kind of opposition. So, uh, you, I mean, it's been a big story for San Antonio. Again, I think it's remarkable that they're even at this point without the Manu Ginobili of old. But you certainly look for him to increase his productivity in some way. I, I don't think at this point, I don't think we're in for a breakout. I don't think he's able to score a lot against Miami. I think his best bet is to just set guys up, be a facilitator, take care of the ball, and stop taking those awful shots that has Greg Popovich pulling his hair out on the sideline. My God. Every time he gets a, a little heat check or a little confidence, he puts up one of those shots, and you see Popovich on the side just marching towards the bench, just just irate because he knows that those shots are not Manu shots anymore. He's got to be smarter. He's got to be more relaxed. And uh, I think an encouragement for us who pick the Spurs uh, is that Tony Parker did tighten up in that second half, but the, the hamstring must have tightened up or gotten cold or something because he barely even played as much. And when he was playing, he, he wasn't half as aggressive as he was in the first half. Um, to your point, Lawrence, I, I and I've been saying this, I still don't think, I think game one may be probably the only game thus far where we've seen kind of the best of both teams. And not even game one was that was the case because we saw – seemingly a fatigued Miami Heat team. They really crumbled in those last final minutes in game one. Mm. But games two and three were both blowouts. Game four, we really saw the best of Miami, right? And But not so much San Antonio because of Parker's hamstring. And obviously Ginobili's not himself. So I think, again, to Tommy and Jason's point, I think this game five is, is huge. I, I'm not sure if I'll say the winner of game five wins the series because up to this point, we haven't seen either team been able to win two games in a row. So based on what we've seen thus far, ju- just based on so far, we're looking at a San Antonio win in game five, a Miami win in game six, and then the almighty game seven, right back where we started. Um, so I'm, I'm waiting to see the best of both teams really go at it. I've really enjoyed the finals. Two out of three, two out of the four games have been blowouts, obviously. But I- I'm looking for two halves of the best of the Spurs and the best of the Heat go against each other in a fair in a fair game. I'm hoping that game five is that game tomorrow night. Um, uh, any final thoughts, guys, uh, before we before we move on? Yeah, I have. I have. Go ahead, Tommy. All right. I just want two two thoughts when you guys were when you guys were discussing <clears throat> what was going on. I think. I think San Antonio comes out game five and they make sure Dwayne Wade doesn't have a game like he had in game four. And I'm curious to see how he, he battles that and, and hopefully he overcomes that for my sake, for the sake of my pick and my, my emotions. But, um, <laughs> and I'm looking, I'm looking forward to seeing, um, well, not looking forward to it, but this is something that I've noticed about Miami and I talked to Martin about it. If Miami doesn't come down and, take and make good shots, 
and, and this this came to um, we saw this at the end of the second quarter. The Spurs pushed the ball down the court, and and they they start whipping that ball around when Miami starts scrambling around on defense, and they made about a twelve ball run like in in a matter of like forty five seconds or two minutes, and that really concerned me as a Miami Heat fan. If Miami doesn't continue to take and make good shots, San Antonio's transition game is it, it, bothering me. Those, those are two points I just wanted to point out real quick. I think that's one of the things we definitely talked about at the beginning, Tommy, was the, the whole clash of the up-tempo pace and and the fact that San Antonio likes to push and Miami likes to push. And, I, and I've said it multiple times, playing against Miami, it reminds me so much of Louisville this year, the fact that it's a marathon. You're playing against a team that is that has loads of offensive firepower, that has a high motor on both ends, that's going to trap you, that's going to – that's going to look to cause turnovers, that's looking to get up and down the whole game. One lap, and, and we really saw it uh, in, in game four a little bit, but it just, I mean, that had a lot, I think, a lot to do with Parker's injury. But and we saw it in game two also. I mean, you, you had one offensive lap against Miami. In two or three minutes, the game could be over. And, and really in that game two, 33-5 uh, run in the third, the third quarter going into the fourth, we saw that happen. You you turn the ball over, you take some bad shots, you have a lapse offensively, Miami comes back at you. And, and to your point, Tommy, Miami saw that happen to them at the end of that second quarter in game four because San Antonio also likes to push. They also like to get up and down offensively. So, you know, the lapses for both teams, I think, definitely look – it costs both teams because both teams look to get up and down and both teams look to score. Exactly. Well, uh, Lawrence, did you have nah, I pretty much got everything out. Uh, I think Jay had one more. One okay. more. All right. This is this is for me the most disturbing stat of the finals. Um, the one that for me kind of tells the whole story of LeBron James in this series and how he's been neutralized. LeBron James in the last three games, three games, he's four for six from the free throw line. He's he shot wow. he shot six free throws in the past three games. Wow. Six. Wow. That Jay, that was a stat you put you pulled out a free throw stat last week. That was actually I'm pretty sure that was your first point about the lack of, of free throw attempts for Miami. Yeah. And 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 now I'm looking at, you know, game 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 three when they got blown out, no free throws. No free throws for LeBron James. They win the other night. He scores 33 points. He shoots four free throws. He makes two. Game two, he goes two for two from the free throw line. He is. They are keeping him out of the paint consistently. Okay, so they, they had a game where they let Wade consistently get into the paint because that's because they're helping so much on LeBron and trying to neutralize him. If they can find a way to keep LeBron out the paint like they have been in – keep him from causing havoc. He hasn't had a, a game this series where he's had over seven assists as well. He had four last game. He had five the game before. They are neutralizing LeBron James. If the Spurs can continue to keep him out of the paint, I think they win this series. I, I, I honestly do. I, I can't see Miami not having LeBron dominate the paint offensively the way he usually does and win this series and win the championship. I can't see it unless 
Dwayne Wade decides to take over that that attacking style that I'm going to consistently get into the paint and cause havoc and not necessarily to, to, to get others involved like LeBron does so much, and I think to a fault too much. I think Wade gets into the paint to score, and, and that's a huge difference. And I just think I, I, I can't see Miami winning this series with LeBron only getting to the free throw line once or twice a game. I, I just think he's not being that aggressive. He's not putting as much pressure on the defense as, he, as we're used to seeing him. And, and you know, it's, it's, it's just it, I don't think he's going to be able to do enough to get Miami over the hump and win two games against the Spurs with him shooting two free throws. I just don't think it's going to happen. So that's what I'm looking for tonight. I want to see how aggressive LeBron is as far as getting into the paint, finding seams. He's a smart player, okay? They're they're packing the lane. I think he needs to shoot jump shots early and, and hit jump shots early to make them play honest. But I think once they're playing him honest, which they might have to at some point, I think he has to attack the paint and be LeBron James and go to his strength. And and they've been taking that away from him. So I, it'll be interesting to see if Miami can continue to keep LeBron James out of the paint. And if they don't turn over the ball and he doesn't get points in transition, they're literally making him a jump shooter. And we all know LeBron James does not really want to shoot that many jump shots. He doesn't. He doesn't want to shoot that many jump shots. So if they neutralize him in transition and they're keeping him out of the paint, he scores 15 points and they get blown out. I would like to see if, if, if San Antonio could continue to do that in game in game five. And if they can keep – and if, if Wade isn't Wade, I think I think San Antonio wins this game five. I, I, I just can't see LeBron shooting six free throws in three games and being the most physically dominant player in the league. You shoot six free throws in three games your team is not going to win the championship with you doing that. It's just not going to happen. And that's and that's my honest opinion, and, and it's a stat that I follow because that shows me how aggressive LeBron is being in attacking the paint, how much he's posting up, and, and, and I just don't see it. It's just not there. And, and, the, and the free throw, as simple of a stat it is, it shows a lot about how he's being defended and how aggressive he's being. And I think he needs to – there needs to be a push here for Miami to get this done. And it's going to have to be LeBron. Wade is just as important, but it has to be LeBron attacking, 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 attacking. Literally my favorite stat from last game, they shoot 50 shots between the two of them. That's what's supposed to happen. When you're, when you're your team's best two players, offensively, you guys have to be the two most aggressive guys. It's, and I said this last week, it's not time for LeBron to be a facilitator right now. He can do what he can, and he's going to naturally get people shot because of the attention that he draws. But he has to be aggressive from the tip. And, and I'm going to look at how many free throws he shoots tonight, uh, tomorrow night. That's, that's, my, that, that's, that's the one thing that I'm looking at, how many times we get into the line. And it'll be interesting to see. Um, definitely an important stat, though, for people out there who who, who know about the, the the nature of being aggressive, getting to the free throw line, forcing the issue. I think something that um, somebody touched on this week while, uh, during the Spurs game, one of the uh, commentators, is that San Antonio does do a remarkable job of playing defense without fouling, and you credit them for that. But 
to for those listening to Jay's point, the the point is for LeBron to make them foul him. The most physically aggressive, just brutal player we have in the game today. I mean, I don't want to compare to Shaq because obviously it's two very different dynamics. But in terms of just physical dominance, you're kind of looking at the same nature there in the sense that you should be able to to get fouled whenever you want to because they can't stop you from getting to the rim and. That's something that you look for from LeBron James. Lots to look for from our discussion from the NBA Finals. Uh, we'll have our eyes on Game 5 tomorrow night in San Antonio. And as always, we'll come back next Saturday and discuss it here on The Collective. Um, it'll actually be pretty interesting. By next Saturday, gentlemen, we will either have a new NBA champion or we'll be right back here talking about Game 7. So uh, it should be pretty – well, actually, matter of fact, I have that wrong. Next Saturday, we will have a new champion because Game 5 will be played Sunday. Uh, game 6 will be played on Tuesday, and if necessary, a Game 7 will likely be that Thursday. So here on The Collective next Saturday, we'll be unpacking the final games of the finals and talking about our new NBA champion. So lots to look forward to uh, for Game 5 and for the rest of the NBA finals. Uh, before I, before we wrap up our first segment, I, I did – I wanted to get guys' reactions um, from other NBA news this week. Um, just, you know, a couple things obviously circulating. Most notably, Jason Kidd being hired as the new head coach for the Brooklyn Nets. Um, also, Doc Rivers. Been, uh, it's been reported that there's mutual interest between Rivers and the, and the Los Angeles Clippers for the head coaching vacancy. I read this morning that apparently, uh, and this has been an ongoing rumor, but apparently it's coming to surface. Doc Rivers, Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett, seemingly some kind of package deal going down with the Clippers. Uh, a lot of talk been going on there. So real quickly, I want to go around. Uh, Jay, give us your reaction first to Jay Kidd in Brooklyn, and uh, what do you think about Doc Rivers? Where is he going to end up? I uh, I think Jay Kidd in Brooklyn is a, is a great fit for a young franchise to have a young coach that, that the players will be able to relate to, obviously. Um, I've heard some stories about, you know, Jason Kidd and Deron Williams' relationship. Um, let's be real, Deron Williams has ran out two coaches, one being Jerry Sloan in Utah and the other one being my, my son Avery Johnson in, in Brooklyn <laughs> earlier this year. So there's obviously that there's, – there's some obvious tension there between Deron Williams and his past coaches. Um, I've heard some things about, you know, Jason Kidd's family and Deron Williams' family going on vacation together and things like that. So I think for Deron Williams, who is the future of that franchise, um, to have a guy that he respects at the helm is awesome. I also read an article earlier um, saying that Jason Kidd is calling calling for his former coach, Lawrence Frank, to be on his staff. Yeah. And, and when I spoke to Martin about this earlier this week, I thought for – the face of a young franchise to have a young coach who can infuse some energy into that franchise and into that team, um, someone that the players will obviously be able to connect to on a personal level, but also be able to look at as a figure of, of strength and leadership. I think Jason Kidd has all those features, and he showed that as a player. So I think that's great. I think the key there is that he gets the right assistant coaches around him to help him with the X's and O's, to help him with the day-to-day grind of being a coach. Um, and I think Lawrence Frank, if he, if he's okay with taking an assistant coach's role, he'll more so be the head coach 
along with Jason Kidd. Jason Kidd would just be the face of everything. And I think that's a combination that can work for Brooklyn. Um, the Clippers-Boston thing, I think hasn't there been talks about this all year, about some type of trade for Garnett to L.A. and, and things like that? Um, for me, I like the Boston, Doc Rivers, Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett trio. And, and as a quasi-Lakers fan, more of a Kobe supporter, um, I, there was one point where I hated them. Um, but I respect them because I think they embody everything that Boston is about. And and that's what I appreciated a lot from that championship team is how gritty they were. I felt like they were always the team that didn't care about Miami having a big three because they were their own big three and I and I like and I like that <laughs> I don't I, I don't know a better word to put this, but I like that thuggish demeanor that the Boston Celtics team always had. I did. I do. I like it. I like that style of basketball. And I think Doc Rivers was the was the face of that. And and Garnett is the is the general and Paul Pierce is another general and they just bring that 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 gritty, you know, kind of East Coast basketball mindset to the NBA and I like to see that. I don't I don't want to see that go to LA cuz I think it's going to be diluted a bit. Um but for LA's sake, if they can somehow get Doc Rivers um, with that type of young talent that they have, uh, and that could be that could be the formula for for them getting past the second round of the playoffs in the near future because they seem <laughs> they seem like they can't get over that hump. I think Doc Rivers takes them over that hump and gets them to a Western Conference final sooner than later. So um, I wouldn't think it's a bad move for Doc Rivers. I don't think it's the greatest move for the whole team to go over there because I think, you know, they the, the Clippers are going to have to give up some young players to get a Garnett and a Pierce who literally may not have more than three years apiece left in the tank. And I think that young nucleus that they have right now, if they keep them together um, for years to come, they're going to be as good as they were this year for years for the next, you know, five to six to seven years instead of just two to three years. So I'm thinking long-term there for the Clippers, but if they can get Doc Rivers, you know, <laughs> uh, possibly sky's the limit with that young team with, with the Doc Rivers at the helm. So um, both moves I think would be great moves for, for, for each of those organizations going forward. So I, I like it. I do like it. Uh, Tommy, your thoughts? Jay Kidd in Brooklyn and potentially Doc Rivers in L.A. next season. I think both those moves are awesome. So uh, with the J.K. move, um, I've been trying to look for uh, any, anything, any resemblance to what's happened. I've never seen a player going from retired one year to head coach the next year. And the fact that he gets to reunite with a franchise that he brought to, to two straight Eastern Conference champions, uh, two NBA Finals appearances, although they were in New Jersey, I, I think that's awesome for them. And um, Darren Williams, you know, he has no no choice but to respect the mindset of one of the greatest point guards who ever played. So I feel like there should be no friction between the two of them. And uh, with Doc Rivers going to, to the Clippers, I feel that's awesome as well because that's that's the respect, you know, that leadership that they need. Like no one, none of them are coming in there acting ratchet and throwing alley-oops, you know, on a daily basis. It's not going down like that. With You know, that'll, that'll still be part of the, the way they play because that's just what they do. But, you know, it, there's not going to be a lack of respect when when he's at the at the forefront. 
And I think the key would be for them to get Kevin Garnett. We talked about this, Martin. I, I forget uh, which analyst was saying this, but for for Blake Griffin to have a veteran presence, uh, a post guy like that, as a, a Kevin Garnett, especially with his, his toughness and Blake Griffin's toughness and all that being in question, I feel he would learn tremendously from a guy like Kevin Garnett. And, and that would that would be a very scary team out west if they get both those pieces. So I really like both those moves. Uh, Lawrence, what do you think about J.K. in Brooklyn and uh, potentially a potential move for the Clippers? Uh, well, I guess I'll, I can share my my thoughts. Uh, I, I agree with both of you. I definitely think Jason Kidd in Brooklyn is uh, is is it's big for for the for Brooklyn. I was really shocked, honestly, hearing it at first. I mean, and especially hearing that they interviewed Brian Shaw for five and a half hours right before they decided to hire Jason Kidd. Um, it was almost like the Phil Jackson, Mike D'Antoni situation there, but. Um, I, I was shocked to hear it at first, not going to lie. That was my initial reaction. The fact that you have coaches like George Carl and Lionel Hollins and, 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 I mean, Doc Rivers is kind of up in the air now, but, I mean, you've got so many coaches out there, capable head coaches. And like Tommy said, you've got a guy fresh out of retirement. Um, I'm not sure that it's ever happened like this before. I do like the move because I think it's, it's gutsy. I think, uh, like you guys touched on, the fact that Jason Kidd and Deron Williams are – are friends and close friends, and heck, they've been teammates before on Team USA. Um, I, a lot to learn there for Darren Williams. In fact, they were supposed to be teammates in Dallas, if you remember, a couple of years ago, when Jason before Jason Kidd made the move to New York. Darren Williams was supposed to be teaming up with Mark Cuban in Dallas before he spurned them for yeah. Brooklyn. So uh, almost a reunion there in Brooklyn. Uh, I think, as Jay alluded to, bringing in Lawrence Frank or any other veteran. Um, assistance it will be important for Jason Kidd because uh, it's a huge adjustment for him in itself. I think it's going to be strange for me seeing Jason Kidd on the sidelines as the head coach, but I do love it. I think I think Jay's point is right on. For a young franchise, for an up-and-coming franchise, to pick a guy like Tommy said that has done so much for their franchise in the past, that obviously has a high uh, basketball IQ and high leadership skills, I think that's a great storyline to look for for Brooklyn going forward and just looking how their team progresses. As it pertains to Doc Rivers, I would I, I, I like what Jason said because Doc Rivers in Boston has really just seemed so right these last few years. And, again, I'm another Lakers fan, so I can't say too many nice things about them. But with Paul Pierce and KG in there, that level of toughness, I mean, it, it's just like it's almost like a family that was supposed to be. And um, I, I'm I'm just going to go on record as saying I wouldn't want to see Doc Rivers go to L.A. without KG and or Paul Pierce. I think I would love to see Paul Pierce and or KG in, in, in Los Angeles. Paul Pierce is obviously from L.A. I think his presence is something that the Clippers could surely use. Uh, I think they need to get away from the whole Jamal Crawford one-on-one scoring just bonanza that they lived off of last season and get back to structured basketball a lot what Tommy was saying. And I think bringing in someone like Doc Rivers, someone like, you know, maybe a Paul Pierce, and like Tommy alluded to, I think Kevin Garnett, not only his leadership and his veteran presence, but also just his game in terms of complimenting Blake Griffin, talking just basketball-wise here. Kevin Garnett's a great passer. 
And Blake Griffin has worked off of DeAndre Jordan, who is offensively, highly offensively limited. Um, you're not going to work off of someone like DeAndre Jordan as you do someone like a Kevin Garnett or someone like a Joakim Noah or someone of that caliber or someone like a Marcus All who who makes his other big better. I mean, you see those big combos like the Gasols and the and Joe Kim Noah, Carlos Boozer. You've got a, a big combo that really works off each other that makes each other better. In a sense, Blake Griffin has been uh, not cheated, but I guess he does, he hasn't had that with DeAndre Jordan. He's not a playmaking big. Blake Griffin has kind of had to create for his own. So throwing Garnett in the mix there I think would make an interesting dynamic for the Clippers, uh, and we'll keep our eyes on that story as we always do, come back and talk about it here on The Collective where we discuss and critique. Uh, But as we wrap up our segment, make sure you check out our basketball blog, basketballfeed.blogspot.com, for uh, for pregame notes throughout the NBA Finals and all kinds of other stuff. We're going to wrap up our segment now, go into our first commercial for a couple minutes, and come back and talk some music. It's The Collective. Rafika Consultants and Services LLC is on the cutting edge of emerging technologies for designing online classes and providing face-to-face and virtual technology training or help with computer programs, web design, and graphic arts. We also provide biography writing services for websites. For more information, give us a call at 631-399-0149. That's 631-399-0149. The Fluffs present the alphabet. Now found in paperback, sporting a five-star rating on Amazon.com. Fashions and gifts that bring out the best in you. Moon 107 is an online retail store featuring women's and men's clothing and the gift shop. The woman's shop features stylish tunics, suits, and accessories and offers the well-dressed woman an outlet to find the perfect gift for self or for someone else. The men's shop offers classy French cut shirts for the well-dressed man. The gift shop offers organic skin, hair, Yes, we're back with the collective. Uh, back from our first first commercial break, we just wrapped up with our NBA Finals discussion. Um, coming back to our music segment now, uh, based off of our bumper and based off of our music blog, whatwehear.blogspot.com uh, is our What We Hear segment, where we come together each week. Our traditional segment, where our co-hosts uh, share what's been on their playlist throughout the week. 
and share what we've been listening to. Um, as always, we want to open up this segment to any live listeners or callers um, that might want to call in and share with us what's on their playlist uh, because we certainly want to know what our listeners are listening to, and that's what this segment is all about. Um, in case you don't know the number, it's 213-943-3618, and hit the number one, and one of our co-hosts will buzz you in, and you can let us know what you're listening to. Uh, kick us off for this week. Um, T. Hill, start us off. Bless us. Brace us with what's been on your playlist this week. You know me, man. I've been listening to a lot of uh, Imagine Dragons, Radioactive, and Zed Clarity, you know, just to get my mind right. Nah, I'm just kidding, child. <laughs> Even though those are two good songs, but <laughs> I downloaded the leak of the uh, Born Center, and, you know, Elle was talking about it last week, and I, I don't want to, you know, when with something so new and it, it's just right there, you want to, you're caught up in it, especially if you're, you're a fan of the artist like I am with J. Cole, and I don't want to overhype it, but, you know, that. The album is very, very good, and I'm I'm gonna buy the album. I can't wait to buy it because there, I heard about this five uh, bonus tracks, and you know, Jake Cole is that dude, man. You know, you, you can't you can't overlook how talented he is as an artist. And like I said, I'm not gonna overhype it. I'm gonna just leave it at that. But you know, Jake Cole, the born center that that's been on my playlist all week. Uh, well said, as it should be for any any of our uh, true hip hop listeners. Uh, J Cole's Born Center album, uh, J Reels, J Reels, probably our most dynamic member of our What We Hear segment. Uh, J, bless us with what's been on your playlist this week. Um, all right, so I, I, I had a I had a a boring week, I would say, compared to to my my last few weeks. Um, boring, but but tremendous. Um, I've been listening also <laughs> to the J Cole um, album. I love it. Uh, one song in particular is the For Forbidden Fruit joint that he has um, with Kendrick. Um, so as we as we discussed, there are there are no rap features on this album. Um, J Cole is is solely blessing us. Um, on this project with 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 verses only from him, um, but I can't I cannot deny how much I love the hook to that song and and, and Kendrick um, singing on on this hook. I I absolutely I I literally on my iPad I've had it on repeat. Um, I was getting up shots in the backyard. I had that song only playing. I was driving to class, driving to work at work this has been my song this week and it it it's perfect to me honestly it it's really a, a perfect song a perfect rap track i think it it blends Kendrick and J Cole together so so well um some of Kendrick singing ad libs i just i i i pause i just i love it the the oh no like oh, that no. <laughs> I can't. I can't lie. I I love that 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 one second. Just just one soulful little little singing part to that song. But but Forbidden Fruit, um, featuring Kendrick Lamar. If you haven't heard it, um, you're a hip hop fan. Please listen to it. 
Um, I think it's I think it's awesome. Um, so now my ratchet song of the week um, right. is comes from comes from the homie Travis Scott, who I've been kind of off and on about. Um, he's in the Kanye West Good Music, um, you know, click, and he has a song called Uptown featuring uh, ASAP Ferg, who some hip hop purist. Which I that I feel like I fall into that category more so probably aren't too <laughs> fond of ASAP Ferg, but when I feel my ratchetness coming out and I and I want to listen to something ratchet, ASAP Ferg seems to be the guy that I've been turning to for the last two weeks, and uh, his verse doesn't disappoint on this song. Um, and uh, Travis Scott is tremendous. He is. I and I and I wasn't I wasn't huge on him when I first heard him. Um, but this song um, has really, really opened me up to to how talented he is uh, as a producer and as a rapper. Um, the beat is absolutely bananas, and I haven't used that word in years. But it is. Uh, it sounds like Funk Master Flex when I say that, but that but it was bananas. It, it really is. It's, it's, it's very, very live, full of energy. Um, the hook is tremendous. Travis Scott, Travis Scott's verses are very good, and ASAP Ferg just you know brings that that retarded ratchet sound that I'm looking for sometimes. Um, so I've I've been enjoying that track. So Uptown, Uptown, Travis Scott featuring ASAP Ferg, and the Forbidden Fruit record off of uh, J Cole's Born Center um, featuring Kendrick Lamar have been my my two go to songs this week. Um, Obviously, I've, I've listened to some more things, but those are the two standouts for this week um, for me in music. So I've enjoyed those two thoroughly. Um, very, very good songs. No, no shortage of variety in our What We Hear segment. If you've tuned in and to our What We Hear segment over the last few weeks, then you, you should be getting a a large amount of different forms of music. Uh, we try to share what we're listening to, but also why we're listening to it and uh no shortage of variety when it comes to what we're listening to and definitely take time to listen to those songs. Ironically enough, the Uptown Record, Jay, I actually posted as an individual song feature on the music blog, um, I think, last week because, um, in fact, I think I think you forgot to mention, I think the best part of the song actually comes after ASAP Ferg's verse. Those last 30 seconds, that eruption of that beat is is ridiculous. You talk about bananas. That those last thirty seconds of that Uptown record is 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 truly bananas. And if uh, anyone has a chance to listen to that, you can go to our blog and check that out. Also, um, definitely a strong suggestion there. Before we kick it to L's uh, playlist for the week, I'll just share mine real quick. Um, I've actually gone back um, and uh, again, as I always say, you know, I pick my co-host based on certain things and 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 uh, their ability to, to listen. And I know for a fact all my co-hosts listen to a variety of music, although we may talk about hip-hop most on this show. If you listen to our What We Hear segment, you know that our co-hosts uh, indulge into just about every genre of music there is. I'm going to take it to kind of the trip-hop genre. And um, if you're not aware of the, the really the famous trip-hop band uh, or group Portishead, um, their 1994, I believe, is when the album came out. Um, uh, 1994, yes, their Dummy album. It was actually their first released album. 
highly critically acclaimed. Um, again, this is this is a and, and again, if you if you don't really know what it what it actually means, I think you really should give it a listen. But it's trip hop. Um, it's it's all it's pretty alternative, um, a different kind of sound. It, it reminds me a little bit, and it's not really fair to them, but it, it it's almost comparable to I think a Radiohead type of sound. Um, but it, it's it's very smooth listening. Um, lots of instruments, lots of instruments. Um, it, it, it's just good listening. Um, I, I can't say much about the group or or the album itself, but I can say that, A, it's what I've been listening to. It's been on my playlist a lot this week as I've been uh, writing and reading. I look for just good listens there. And uh, this has been a very smooth listen. A record from the album that is probably most familiar to people is the song Glory Box, which was one of the singles with samples of Isaac Hayes' song, um, Ike's Rap an excellent sample of Isaac Hayes and a sample that you really wouldn't expect from a group like this. Um, but very alternative. Again, it's trip hop, um, but very good listening. So uh, Portis Head's 1994 dummy album uh, for me for my playlist this week. Uh, Lawrence Reels, bless us with your playlist from this week. What have you been hearing? Well, at the beginning of the week, I, I kind of, I've been thinking about, rap hooks a lot and like what necessarily makes a good a very good rap hook and i i thought about like who's doing it the best in the game and kind of went back and listened to their old stuff so i ended up re-downloading drake's comeback season which i didn't have for some reason or another but i went back and listened to this and uh very nostalgic very good, very raw Drake. It, I mean, and I don't mean raw by, like, content. I mean just raw in terms of his abilities. Everything that he's done up until now is, is made pretty evident on comeback season, which I believe came out in 2008. And um, I, everything he's done now is, is very evident on comeback season, but it's just not as, produced i guess i would say is the word he has a few freestyles where he uses other people's beats but the the melodies and the and like the hooks that he's able to put on these songs are, are really really cool i really like the uh the hook on which one was it um where to now has a very cool hook as does asthma team these are these are older drake songs um Another another guy who I want to talk about, I, I mentioned his mixtape a few weeks ago, is a guy, uh, Chance the Rapper, a 20-year-old rapper from Chicago. I mentioned his mixtape a few weeks ago, Acid Rap, and it came out, and it was kind of, it was critically acclaimed, and a lot of people were talking about it, so I got it and listened to it, and I, and I did enjoy it when first listening to it. Maybe not as much as I do now, but, but I did enjoy it, but um, the end of last weekend... I was kind of uh, just browsing the internet, and I ended up finding a video of him performing one of the songs off the album live in Chicago. And it's actually a song that I missed because it's a hidden track on the album. It's um, it's at the end of a song called Push A Man. And I guess the unofficial title to the actual song I'm talking about is Paranoia. But it is one of the coolest songs, <laughs> one of the coolest rap songs I've heard this year, realistically. It's... It kind of serves as like a, a social commentary of the violence that he grew up around coming from Chicago and kind of his take on it and how it's 
a, a good a great deal different than what you would typically hear out of a, a younger rapper. I mean, you look at younger rappers out of Chicago, i.e. Chief Keef, who I guess is the biggest, and he seems to kind of glorify that life in 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 the the situation in Chicago. But Chance takes a different approach to it, to where he kind of talks about being in this thing and he can't necessarily do anything to control it. Therefore he has to, you know, like protect himself and he has to be ready at all times. But at the same time, he like kind of shows a bit of vulnerability because he's like, I'm, I, I'm scared. I, I, I'm generally scared of genuinely scared of, of being here. And, and I, I wish everyone else like had the confidence to say that. And, and I mean, it's really cool. It's like a really airy, like, trippy hip-hop song he like sings on the hook and and he has a few refrains and it switches up a bunch and it, it's just it's just really cool and i i feel like before listening to this song i wasn't able to appreciate chance the way i am after listening to the song so if you haven't if you didn't check out acid rap when i talked about it a few weeks ago definitely check out the song paranoia like i said it they call it a hidden track it, it's at the end of a song called Push a Man on his album, the the song, it's Push a Man itself. It was only about 2 minutes and 50 seconds, or really like 2 minutes and 30 seconds. And then at like the 2.50 mark starts the song Paranoia, and it's still about 4, maybe even closer to 5 minutes long because it has a bunch of changes and stuff in it. But it it's really cool, and I've listened to that song in ungodly amount this week. Um, to your to your credit, Lawrence, I think when you did bring up um, when you did first bring up Chance the Rapper a couple weeks ago, and um, I took the time to listen to his mixtape, I felt that your assessment of him was really spot on. And if I recall, I don't want to misquote you, but I remember you saying something about him being a more conscious future. Yes. And, yeah. Uh, that's exactly listening what to I him, I, I I couldn't agree more with your assessment because as you just as you just talked about in terms of the content and what, you know, what he's looking to address with his lyrics. Um, I'm of the, and, and anyone who's listened knows how I feel and don't feel about future. But as you're looking at his lyrics and his content, um, I think chance certainly has more of a conscious approach to it. I think that was a really fair assessment in that regard. Yeah. Yeah. He, I mean, he definitely has that, that, I guess I would consider it future appeal. I feel like the people that actually actively, actively listen to Future probably wouldn't be Chance the Rapper fans because there's something about Future kind of drunkenly just screaming on a song that people like. But uh, Chance the Rapper is by no means a singer, but at the same time he is he like he does that kind of singing like melodic type of thing. And I mean, it, it ends up coming out really cool. It's like really organic. It, it's it's really cool. I I certainly enjoy him a great a lot more than I enjoy listening to Future. Well said, well said. So uh, everything from our What We Hear segment, from J Cole to Portishead to uh, Chance the Rapper, um, as we as we typically do, covering a lot of grounds in music and what we're listening to. Um, uh, for, for for the main event of our music segment, to get to the overarching discussion topic of today's show, um, Yeezy season, Yeezus. Yeezy season has begun. Um, it officially begins on Tuesday when the Yeezus album releases, but as we are all aware, there was a small window that opened up yesterday that presented a leak to Kanye's album. 
Um, I am proud to say I was part of um, that that time frame. I was lucky enough to be um, free and, and on the computer while it was happening. Um, I have I, I have the album. The album is in my car. Um, we and and it's funny because you know I, I set up earlier this week um, as a discussion topic for today, being that it is Yeezy season and Kanye's album, you know, coming out. We've talked about J. Cole obviously shifting over to Kanye now as a discussion topic. I figured we'd take some time today to kind of recap Kanye's journey uh, through his album and uh, even try to you know go around and kind of try to if not rank Kanye's past five albums, um, at the very least discuss uh, the past five albums and kind of the journey that he's taken uh, with those albums from um, college, from college dropout all the way up to uh, My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy. And so with Jesus uh, now in some people's possessions, and, you know, obviously the week was shut down after a couple hours I found out I found out last night um so obviously everyone doesn't have it but it seems like just about everyone has been listening to it reacting to it I've I've read reviews of it already which is kind of um amazing um (laughs) I've seen positive reviews I've seen negative reviews as we do with just about almost every Kanye album um so many things to discuss and consider at least in my opinion and I have a couple things that I think I want to address and talk about um i do want to get you guys initial reactions though and uh lawrence i'll give you the floor first your initial reactions to the to the new kanye album <laughs> well i can tell you my first initial reaction all right so i got off of work yesterday and, and listened to it in its entirety from beginning to end and my first reaction after hearing it for the first time was utter confusion I had no idea what I just listened to. It was it was so much and it was all over the place and I mean in in leading up to the album he talked a lot about the approach he took with this album is is the art form of minimalism. Well, I I hear him and I I understand that I I read something where they were talking with Rick Rubin who was a guy that uh Help Kanye really get this album together and clean it up toward the end. And um, Rick Rubin said that Kanye's like came to him with all of this music that just wasn't ready. And Kanye's like focus was what can I take out of each of these things? Like he wanted to take out as opposed to putting in. And I I don't understand what this thing could have sounded like with more sounds. Like it's it, there's there's just so much. There's so much, but. After listening to it a few times, I, I, I feel like I can better assess the the situation. I, I mean, I still got a lot more listening to it, too. I can really, like, review it and say whether it's good or not. Because at this point, I really, really don't know whether it's good the whole way through a lot. I've seen very mixed reviews, and, and they're extreme on both sides. It's either, we love this, this is so awesome, or, oh, my goodness, that is terrible that is like the worst thing i've ever heard in my life and i feel like it falls somewhere in between uh and when the dust settles that that's where it'll end up falling there's some good songs on here there's i wouldn't say that that every single song has phenomenal rapping and that that's maybe my biggest gripe to take away from it is just like all right um 
we we know Kanye as the producer and this artist that kind of likes to do things on a grand scale, but at the same time, we loved him because he was such a good rapper and, and it was so fresh and, and original and, and not much of this is. There's there's some good verses on here and then there's some verses where it seems really lazy. He was just attempting to put words to uh, all the noise he had already put in the background. So, um, yeah, I, I like it. I like it because I, it's more Kanye and, and that's realistically the most I can say about it at this point is I just like the fact that I have new Kanye production wise. It could realistically be one of the best hip hop produced albums I've ever heard. And, and that could be, I can say that I could be saying that right now because it's Kanye and because of all the people I know he worked with, Travis Scott did a lot of production on this. Daft Punk produced like the first three songs. Um, I mean, Rick Rubin, as I talked about, worked on a lot of this stuff. Like he, he certainly had, he certainly had the best producers in the game on it. Hudson Mohawk and and Tonight, which is the co- collaboration of Hudson Mohawk and Lunas, they worked on a, a, one of the songs, Blood on the Leaves, which is actually one of the highlights of it. I like Blood on the Leaves. I like I'm in it. Um, I I think New Slaves, which was the first song that we heard off of this album yeah the new yeah. slaves was the first song we heard off of it i think the new slaves lyrically is one of his best in terms of the actual rapping on it like he has good yeah. flows he has good punch lines uh, i new slaves is definitely one of the better rapping songs on here and i i do like bound to bound to i guess is kind of his like love song i Kim Kardashian owed whatever you want to call it. it. It's kind of him talking about his feelings about being in love and the necessity of it, and and I think that that's pretty cool. It's it's a little bit vulnerable, Kanye, which you never see realistically. So I do like that, and there's definitely some low moments on this album. Like I, I'm not a fan of I Am a God. I I I get where he was coming with it but if he was going to do that and he was going to do it on that scale i think in terms of the actual lyrics and lyricism he should have done an entirely different song or like entirely different verses i i and it's not even coming from any sort of religious standpoint it's from a musical standpoint it's not it, it's not good in my opinion i i'm i'm not an i am a god fan fan and um I don't know. Like I said, it's it's confusing, and I, I probably just confused anybody who was listening to it because I've kind of went back and forth saying, "Oh yeah, it's great," but then it's terrible. But but that's if, after you listen to it, you'll you'll understand what I mean. Like you'll you'll know how I feel. But the confusion is still lingering. I still have a few more. Uh, I still have a lot more listening to do to where I can really, 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 really unpack and say, "All right." But this certainly is not the best Kanye album I've ever heard. I can tell you that. I did, it may not be last. It may be last. It may not be last. But it, it most definitely is not the best. I think... I, I, <laughs> it's rough. Here's why, I think, here's why I think it's confusing for people. And, and, and I'm, I'm... As we continue to talk about Jesus, I'm coming from, I think pretty much everyone is coming from their own place of understanding. But, I mean, I, I here's what I gather from what I've heard. 
Kanye West is no longer concerned with pleasing us as hip-hop fans. That much is clear. Um, Whether or not that's a good thing is up to the listener. The reactions that I've heard from Jesus are reminding me so much of the reactions from 808s and Heartbreaks. And I'm not going to compare the two albums because they're not comparable in terms of in terms of music. But in terms of reception, um, I'm seeing very similar receptions to 808s and Heartbreaks. It's like you said, Lauren. There are people who are saying this is great. There are people who are saying this sucks. That was very much the confusing element to 808. However, looking at Jesus, back to my original point, I, I, I'm convinced, and, and I, I don't think we weren't warned of this, because Kanye said that his, his best kind of conception of this work was a mixture between trap, drill, and house. So it's not like we weren't really warned. I mean, it's, we didn't know what to expect, but it's not like we weren't warned. We saw the performances over the last couple weeks, we got a sense of the just extreme noise that was coming our way. Kanye West, this is what Kanye has just done with this album. Kanye West has made it so if you don't enjoy EDM, if you don't enjoy electronic music or, or I mean, if you don't enjoy music outside of hip-hop, you are going to hate Jesus. That's just that's just the case. Kanye West is no longer, and, and I agree with you, Lawrence. Rapping-wise, I'm listening to some songs, and I'm like, you know, I, I do like, I, I'm, I'm, and I think I Am a God is certainly probably the song that will be split the most between lovers and haters, and I actually, I, I've, I've grown to like it I, I, just because I think it knocks. I mean, I, I, I just love the way it sounds, just to be honest. But uh, I think listening to the songs, listening to the lyrics, I'm not hearing the aggression lyrically. I'm not hearing him looking to put together these grand, masterful verses. And listen, I mean, again, let's go ahead and put it in the succession of Kanye albums. And heck, I'm going to put and, and, and listen, when it comes to Watch the Throne, I'm very careful when it comes to Watch the Throne in terms of comparing it because I'm of the mindset that it's two against one every time. You've got Kanye and Jay just snapping on every track and – there's not much you can really put against that. But even my beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy, guys, I'm looking at songs like, and, and Lawrence, I think you hit it right on the head, New Slaves is the most genuine rap song on the album. That's probably the only song that we've got where he's, actually, where he's like, snapping. I actually mm-hmm. like Send It Up a lot. Send It Up has become actually kind of cool. one of my go-to so far. And I think he comes in on that second verse that, King L person on the first verse or whatever is irrelevant, but when Kanye comes in, I think that's actually one of his stronger verses as well. Um, I love but, King L on the beginning of that, though. I think King L yeah, makes I, that joke. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of just waiting for Kanye so far. So far, I mean, it's, it's kind of just kind of just like melancholy and monotonous as I was listening, and I'm just like, all right, let me hear Kanye come in and start snapping. Like, I, don't, I may need to go back to it, but I do like the overall vibe of the record as a whole. I do like it. But but I'm looking at My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy, and you, you're looking at songs like Devil in a New Dress, songs like So Appalled, even songs like Runaway and Hell of a Life and Gorgeous and, and Dark Fantasy. I mean, these were songs where we were getting the the 
the, the like the grand musical sound of Kanye, but also the the, the aggressive lyricism and really mm-hmm. really substantial verses on just about every verse, every song on My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy. This Kanye album, and and I was getting to what you said, Lawrence, because we're stacking it up against the others. This is not his best album. And and the only way I can compare it, like, right now, is is based on my initial reaction. Because I think initial reactions are so important in terms of how the album hits you when you first listen to it. When I first listened to Watch the Throne, My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy, it was all I wanted to listen to. I mean, it was just... It, it, it was it was a lot, and and like you said, though, there's a lot to go with Jesus. There's a lot, but those other albums were a lot in the sense that you felt like you were getting a lot of really deep, in depth material and lyricism with each song. This is a lot just in terms of noise. I mean, it's just throwing a lot of sounds at you, a lot of different like ideas and, and vibes. I mean, it it goes to a lot of places, but again. This is uh, this has just come to be my understanding. If you consider yourself a you know like Jay said earlier, a, a hip hop purist, a genuine rap music fan, if if and and again, what we love about Kanye obviously is that he's a he's a profound lyricist. But if if rap and hip hop is is the only thing about Kanye that you really liked, you are going to hate this album. Because this album is highly EDM inspired, it's it's. I mean, I don't know how else to put it. There's there's just high, there's a tremendous EDM influence on this thing, and if you're not used to that sound, if you don't appreciate that sound, if you don't like that sound, you are not gonna like this album. That's just what it comes down to. I, I guess my understanding is that Kanye no longer is concerned with pleasing people who want really good rap music. I think he's more concerned now with, I guess, pleasing, at least trying to please everybody because he's got these outside influences. He's got Daft Punk. He's got Rick Rubin. He's got, you know, uh, all these other guys. Like, it seems like he's trying to do everything in one, and I guess for a lot of people it's to a fault. Um, So, again, I guess that's kind of my general conception. Um, Jay, Give us your thoughts. Take the floor. What are your thoughts on Kanye's album? I think you guys are being a little too nice. That's what I think. <laughs> I, I think I think you guys are being a little bit too nice. I don't. I bottom of the barrel as far as Kanye albums go. No questions for me. And and I am just as much as you guys a Kanye supporter fan. Um, junkie, whatever you want to call it, um, I'm 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 just as much with you guys. I remember when I heard uh, my beautiful dark twisted fantasy. I remember my initial listens through that. My initial listens to Jesus with some excitement. My initial dark twisted fantasy uh, listen, I almost passed out. I was that overwhelmed by how good it was. I was blacked out. I was like, okay, I had it. All right, I'm good. And 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 it, it was totally different with Jesus. And I listened to it yesterday. Um, I have one song that I'm I'm pretty you know crazy about, um, and that's the and that's the song uh, "Blood on the Leaves." I think that is 
the banger of the album. Um, but for it to only be ten songs, and arguably three of them are actually like legit rap songs, and maybe six or seven out of the ten are are good to very good for a Kanye West type standard. No mm-hmm. comparison to any of the other albums. No, com- if you dare try to compare this album to anything, else, any of the other Kanye's albums, then you're 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 jaded. You're you're very very jaded, and I, and I mean that with with complete honesty. I think you're jaded um, to what to just the Kanye as a entity, and I think I think you're not being very realistic. Um, Hip hop is about competition. J Cole decided to release his album on the same day as Kanye. Initial listens to both albums. I have to listen to Kanye's a little bit more. I think J. Cole has him as of right now for me. And and that's personal opinion, so I don't want to offend anybody, but I think I think J. Cole has him off of my initial listen. It's not a Kanye album to me. It it it's, it, it doesn't grab me like other Kanye albums. And I and I still have some listening to do, I'm not gonna lie. I I, I, I my initial listen was was that. It was an initial listen. I probably listened to each song besides the Blood on the Leaves songs, I probably listened to each song twice, maybe three times a piece. And it's only a ten album ten song album, so it's not it doesn't take you long to get through it, but I probably have run through it um two to three times. And I'm just not blown away by it. I, I'm I'm really not. I heard the Blood on the Leaves track and that one messed me up pretty bad. I was because mainly because of that C Murder sample because that was that was my that was one of my my songs growing up. It was it was one of my pregame songs. So it took me back a little bit with that sample and I love what Kanye did with it and I love his verses on it. Um I think he snapped on that one. But everything else is kind of Kind of, you know, so so for me right now, and I and I and I'm and I'm initially, I'm disappointed, and I and I'll be very honest, I'm, I'm I think I'm I think I'm disappointed, in in this. I like the bound song, um, the hold my liquor song. I like, I I don't like Chief Keith's feature, and I'm probably the only Chief Keith fan on this panel here that we got going. But I'm not a, I'm nah, not you're a not. fan of it. Uh, am, I, am, I not, am I not alone? Nah, not you, alone. you know I bang with Sosa, and I actually like Sosa's part on that more than I like it on on. Nah, yeah, nah y'all bugging. Nah, y'all bugging. <laughs> but, I, I, Martin, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not a huge fan of Sosa's part on that. And, and, and cause mainly because I saw Chief Keith and I wanted him to get ratchet. I didn't want him to be singing. So and that that's where I stand. But I'm 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 I gotta be honest, guys. I'm not initially, I'm not crazy about this one. And and I was I was super excited when I heard it leak. You know, Martin sent out the the the, the call. He put he put the Kanye symbol up in the sky, and I and I and I jumped to it. Um, I, I downloaded it and I listened to a few tracks, and then I went to work. I listened to a few tracks on the way there, and when I was at work, I really got to dig into it and. I, I'm I'm not I'm not crazy about it right now, and and if it changes, you know, next week I'll let you guys know. But as of right now, I'm just I'm not super super excited about it. I'm not crazy about it, I, and I certainly 
don't think that it even I don't think it, it, it even comes close to any of the prior albums because that's how good they were, guys. Like, come on, let's be real. Graduation, college dropout, my, my dark twisted fantasy. If you want to throw Watch the Throne in there, do it. This this album, 808s and Heartbreaks, this album is at the bottom of that list right now for me. And I know it's just an initial listen, but but it, it's at the bottom of the barrel right now for me. And from what I'm thinking, I'm thinking this is a setup album. And and I say a setup album because I'm thinking that he put this out and for some for there to be some doubt. I feel like he I feel like he may have put this out there to cause and I could be this could be a totally far fetched theory and if it is then then, you know, so be it. Take it for what you want to. But I think this is a setup album. I think he wants people to think, all right, is Kanye is, is he losing it, or is he is he not as into his music as he was before, so he can come with the next one, and 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 blow us out of the water. But comparing it to to any of his other albums, I'll say this again: initial reaction, bottom of the totem pole. Um, and I hope that it proves. I hope as I keep listening to it that I'm proven wrong, but. I'm I'm just not into it. I'm I'm not super super into it like I was the others and and I don't know. Maybe 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 my mind will change and I'll let you guys know if it does, but initially I'm not I'm not I'm not very 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 happy with it. And I, and, that, and that's my honest opinion. I'm not very happy with it. I think I think that and again, I I think the initial reactions are important though, and and uh, I mean we we know the importance of you know listening to stuff over and and really absorbing it. But again, um, I I mean I'm glad you said it, Jay, because because it matters how we feel when we first hear it. Because like you said, you remember when you first heard Dark Twisted Fantasy. You remember when you first heard Late Registration and Eight Hundred Eight and Graduation and those albums, and you remember how they made you feel. Upon first listen, you may have had to go back and start to, you know, understand certain songs more and, and you know, dive into them a little bit more. But and the initial, like you said, you first heard Dark Twisted Fantasy, the, the reaction was passed out. Like that that was the initial reaction. I think yeah. initial reactions are so important for that reason. Um, and, and, and again, you, <laughs> the first thing you hear on this album is on site. And it's just like, it, you're just like, you feel like you're warped into like the matrix or something like it's it's very strange and it's very it's just like it's a lot of energy and it's a lot thrown at you at once and the, the and and the fact that it's it's 10 songs for me i i i don't i kind of hate that effect, the fact that it's 10 songs and the fact that i've listened to it probably six or seven times through because i had i burned it on a cd and put it in my car I've gone through it, and, and I hate the fact that I feel like I can absorb it fairly quickly. The album is 40 minutes long, guys. This album mm. is 40 minutes long. Mm. There are a couple songs that are under four minutes. The on site is under three minutes. Like, it's not really that much to take in, which I think works to its detriment. It's, it, I mean, it's a lot at once, and I think it's a lot within those that 40-minute parameter but again, it's like it leaves people like Lawrence confused because it's just it's it seems like too much fit into that forty minute space, 
and 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 then when you go back to it, it's just not it's 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 just not what we've been accustomed to, and in terms of in terms of how a Kanye album hits us at first listen, um, and and I mean again. Certainly, we'll be. I mean, we'll be listening more, and certain songs will grow on us. But even just looking at the song, I mean, guilt trip. I mean, guilt trip. Like a song like that, I'm not interested in hearing from Kanye. A song like I'm in it, which I think, like musically, I think is a good song. But the concept is pretty is too vague for a Kanye song to me, at least. I mean, look at the set. Look at the track list on Dark Twisted Fantasy. Every song title is is like. It's just, you know you're in for something with that. Like, you know you're in for something. These, you know, hold my liquor. You know, guilt trip. And, again, I mean, these are just song titles, but song titles say a lot for me. And the message of the song says a lot for me. And and it's at some level, at least lyrically, I feel like it, it gets a little vague. It's not it's not as great as you'd want it to be. Um, yeah. Uh, Tommy, not, I, Tommy. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, Jeff. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I'm. But but what you said, I, I was I was having a conversation with with um, my buddy Nate yesterday, and we said, and I asked him, I said, "You're listening to this. Where is their direction? Where what's the theme of this album? Like, you know, you you look at the past stuff. You know, you look at graduation. You look at late registration. You look at all these albums. There was some type of theme and." focus and storyline and 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 there was something to it it was the albums were they were they were a marathon they weren't a sprint i think this this album has not much direction i couldn't initially i couldn't really tell you what it's about i can't tell you if there's a theme to it like i i can't tell you i can't tell you what he's trying to get across in it i i just honestly think i i think he's he sold us short on this one uh, like, because cause you look at the other ones and they're like you know, these mass productions. It's almost like it's like sitting through an orchestra. This one is like it's like sitting through like like a like a like a comedy show. Like, like honestly, it's it's, it's nothing. I, I feel like it's missing direction, and I honestly feel like it's more of an EP than it is an actual album, and that bothers me. It, it really does. I I, I think I. I did. I, I I never thought I would say this, and I and I and I told myself that this wouldn't be true, but I think everything else that's going on with him, as far as his relationship and things like that, take took away from the time that he put into his album. I don't see the time that he put into his other albums put into this one, and and that's disappointing for me. It really is. Tommy, we'll kick it to you. Uh, your thoughts on on Kanye? Not sure if you've heard the album yet, but. Uh... If you have, uh, give us your thoughts. I uh, downloaded it last night. I listened to the first five tracks. And, I mean, I got to be honest with you guys. This is the reason why I said I was looking forward to J. Cole's album as opposed to Kanye's album in terms of lyrics. Um, But just a fan of instrumentals, um, I almost feel like it's unfair to ever com- like to, to compare albums to Kanye's because they're so like like Elo and you guys are talking about all these sounds. To me, when I'm listening to it, I'm like I'm I'm kind of blown away at some of the sounds because I know these are going to be smash hits in 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 the club down Jersey Shore down you know up North Jersey. You know I know some of these songs are going to smash the club and the bar scene, 
And I feel like that's that's what he was going for because, you know, like Martin said, it, it's, it's all these genres put together. It's like it's rap meets EDM meets Pink Floyd. It's just, you know, from a production standpoint, it's just I've, I haven't heard sounds like this. And, and Kanye West continues to produce his albums very well. Now, from the rap aspect, like I said, I wasn't, I wasn't going into it expecting to hear anything that was going to blow me away or make me want to change, you know, my my path away, the way I'm living, because that's just not what I'm expecting from Kanye West at this point. And, and uh, that's why I was looking forward to the J. Cole's uh, ahead of that. But, you know, I listened to the first five tracks, On Sight, Black, Black Skinhead, I Am God, New Slaves, Hold My Liquor. And, you know, it, it, it's it's just the the... It's different sound. It's always a different sound from Kanye, and and the the way popular music, I feel it's trending more. It's trending more toward house music, you know, the that EDM sound, and you know, rap purists like you like you said, Martin, are gonna hate this album. But there's a large part population that this is these, there's gonna be at least five or six of these blowing the doors off clubs before the end of the summer's out. I guarantee you that. And, uh, you know, that's I've, I've yet to listen to the, the last five tracks, but that's what I've got so far from this album. And it almost serves as a contradiction because during one of Kanye's all-too-powerful and, and popular rants over the last couple of weeks, he's been really expressive about his idea that he is not concerned with radio player, with, with, with kind of like the masses, I guess, but it, it almost serves as a contradiction because you act, it seems like that actually is what he's concerned with in terms of what we're getting from this music. And again, back to the to, uh, here's the thing about J Cole, the, the J Cole thing. I I think it's almost unfair and borderline irrelevant to compare these albums because I think it's fair to say that this album by Kanye is and he's a rapper, but this is hardly a rap album, guys. Like, if you're going to compare this to any rap, I think Wale's album is probably going to be a better rap album than this just because it's going to be more genuine rap. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know if you can actually take this album and compare it to other rap albums, especially J. Cole's, which we've all attested to the fact that Born Sinner is really epitomizing the idea of a, of a genuine and substantial rap album. I don't even know what to com- I don't know what to compare this to. I don't I don't know what to like I I don't really know what to do with it, honestly. I mean if I were to compare it to something I feel like I'd have to compare it to an EDM artist or something. Like this is hardly a rap album for me, which I guess from what I mean seems like most of us are saying is kind of and again, it's back to what I said originally. It's 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 part of its kind of downfall I guess for us that, that love, you know, the, the the vintage Kanye, but uh, again, I'm seeing I'm seeing such such similar dynamics to 808s and Heartbreaks in terms of the reception, in terms of how people are how people are receiving this because, and and it's different because 808s and Heartbreaks was obviously the 80 you know the 808s influence obviously, but also the singing aspect. I mean, he sang on every song. And it was highly emotional, and it was kind of dark, and it wasn't it wasn't rapper Kanye; it was some other Kanye. And now we're seeing some other Kanye again in kind of this fully progressed mode. But it's not for everybody. It's not for everybody who started out as Kanye fans. It may be for more people who are new Kanye fans. But 
it's it's hard to put your finger on. I would say it, 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 I think it's very difficult to to generalize at this point. Um, I will say this on the record, and and I mean I'm I'm just gonna go out and say it on the record, and and there's a reason for this. I think Kanye kills J. Cole in album sales next week. And I'm going to have my eye on the sales oh, next course. week. I think I think Kanye West absolutely murders J. Cole in album sales, really mainly because of the promotional aspects. I mean, guys, New Slaves aired all across the world. Like, I mean, the, the numbers in the U.K. and in Europe don't, I mean, those are different from the U.S. numbers, but still, all across the country, people who may not have really liked Kanye that much may have more reason to like Kanye now, oddly enough. I really feel like that's the case. And I think we're seeing, we're going to see high fluctuation in terms of how people are receiving Kanye, how much they like him. I, I think we're going to see a large fluctuation with old Kanye fans and new. Um, I, I, that's just my opinion um, uh, in, in that regard. Any any other thoughts? I mean, so I, so the, the panel, is, this, this, the discussion is open. Anyone has any other thoughts? I mean, Mark, what you just said, Martin, about about Kanye West is is so spot on because he's not concerned with just the USA. He's internationally, globally concerned about his music. Just the fact that and that sound of of the new the the EDM house, uh, Pink Floyd, all that put in the one. That's what's globally. I feel like it's more, I don't even know the word I want to put. It's not just rap music anymore. And, no, you not. know, he might he might be a genius in that aspect because, you know, he doesn't care if, if there's a large group that don't don't like him because the, the, the ones who do, the ones that are going to put money in his pocket, that's, that's what he's concerned about. You know what I mean? It, it's crazy. I don't think Kanye cares about rap anymore. I, I'm, on, I'm on the record of saying that. I, I just don't think he cares about rap anymore. Uh, I don't know. Like I, I just don't. That's that's what I'm getting from this. That he does not care about rap anymore. He may be a rapper. He may be a hip hop artist. He may be a hip hop module, module at this point. But in terms of rapping, and and I guess it goes back to when we first started talking about Kanye and this album, all the way back to the beginning stages of our show, when I expressed my severe. Uh, nervousness for Kanye in this album, giving that thing that's growing inside of Kim Kardashian's stomach. I was extremely worried, and and I, and it, I don't know if that's confirmed by now. I don't know if it's you know I'm still not sure how to feel, but I think it speaks to kind of that aspect of it in the sense that I don't think he cares about rap anymore, and and I resent him for that. I openly resent him for that. He's doing rap as a service, kind of, in a way. Because he's and, he and that as, 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 as at the top of that Mount Rushmore rap by, a, by a, uh, a great amount of people. I feel like he's doing rap as a service by, by kind of disrespecting it in the way he's doing it. It's still going to be popular. Because it's still going to sell. Of course, absolutely. I mean, little the, the Carter Four sold, and the Carter Four was awful. And, and looking at Little Wayne versus Kanye, now it seems like that disservice that you just mentioned, Tommy, Wayne is disservicing rap by coming out with just completely monotonous and generic material, just talking about drugs and sex and Molly all the time. 
Now Kanye is doing a different disservice. He's not staying true to the, the the rap genius that we that we fell in love with over the years. And and you know, I feel like he's taking his progression and his evolution to the absolute extreme to the point where we are considering you know not not really revering him as we once did, which, like you said, it's a disservice to us. It's a disservice to hip-hop because your Kanye Wests and your Little Waynes are supposed to be the shining lights, you know, the guys who represent, who, who, who put on hip-hop for the masses. And they're doing something in, in different aspects, of course, talking about Kanye and Little Wayne, but they're both doing something that uh, that, that has to be questioned and criticized, which is obviously what we do here. Let's, uh, we're wrapping up here. We're running out of time. Any final thoughts, guys, here as we're signing off for the day? Um, listen to our tone. Like, like if, if, you, if we all go back and listen to the last 40 minutes of this show and we listen to how, we're, how all of us sound talking about this album, no one sounds excited. No one, no one, no one's blown away. No one sounds excited. No one sounds sounds that much hopeful about this album, and and it's and that's really really sad. Because I think if we were on the air when when Dark Twisted Fantasy came out, I I I don't know if I would even be able to find the words to to describe <laughs> how I felt initially. But if I did, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be with a with a disappointing tone. It wouldn't be with a almost sad it wouldn't have a sad feeling to it. And and that's what this album I, I from from listening to everyone's tone, listening to, to how the energy is right now, I feel like it's 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 not it's not what we thought our Kanye West Jesus uh uh initial breakdown would be. And and that and that really bothers me. And I and I and I and I'll end with this. I I had a conversation with two guys on our on our on our collective um, Facebook page, and they they said exactly what we were saying before the album even came out. And and they were they were they were saying how Kanye has gotten away from what he did on college dropout, late registration, and they were naming songs, and they and, and, and I'm thinking about these songs that they're naming, and I'm like, good God, these songs were everything, everything for me as a hip-hop fan when they came out. And and now, and now with this one, initial listen, it's like, I don't know what to think, and, and, and I'm, and I'm, partially disappointed on my from my initial reaction and and I and I said something on there and I'll just say it real quick the days of hip hop artists mega artists especially staying true to what they what they've done in the past are over they're they're over how many soulful samples have you heard on this album maybe one or two like like it's those those Kanye days are over and 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 now I'm just trying to pick through and take what I can from it, and 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 that's really just a sad reality. And 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 I'm and I'm and I'm I'm sad that it's gotten to this point. I never thought with Kanye that it would get to this point, but I feel like he sold it short, and I think he half-assed this album. 
I honestly did. I, I think he pushed it out, and I think he half-assed it, and that's, and that's very, very disappointing to me. So you've gotten our thoughts. You've heard our discussion. You've heard our critiques. Um, signing off here for another day of the collective. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next Saturday talking and discussing more topics. Shout out to Blog Talk Radio and the Keys 107. Uh, check out our blogs and our podcasts. Uh, follow us on Facebook and on Twitter. And uh, we'll be back next week with the collective. Yeah. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.